Nine no-nos on Safari. This is the Wild Eye Podcast. Hey everybody, my name is Jerry, I'm from Wild Eye, and in this episode I'm going to hand over to Matt, and he's going to discuss, and this is the ba- at the back of a conversation he had with a mate of his, the nine no-nos on Safari. I'm sure as you listen to this you'll think of uh, some of your own as well, but uh, for now, let's see what Matt has to say. Enjoy. Hey everyone, I hope you're well. Welcome to 2023. I hope you guys have had a fantastic festive season. And I'm very much looking forward to this year. I've got a feeling it's a year of big change and breakthrough. And we have got some really good safaris coming up, which brings me to this blog and podcast. Uh, Just a few days ago, I was chatting with a mate and we were having a laugh and comparing notes with the different things that, you know, there's certain things in the world, like for me, for example, is slurping of tea or slurping of soup. I just it, those those sorts of things just you know they, they just drive you crazy and uh, this is a list that I compiled after having that chat and having a laugh uh, of what I call the nine no nos of Safari or on Safari and it's a bit of a cheeky list and it's it's also cheeky because I've, I'm guilty of quite a few of these points but certainly not letting you know which ones um, don't want to give you that much ammunition of course but it's a fun list and just to be taken with a pinch of salt I suppose for people who haven't been on Safari yet. Um, this might even serve as an educational tool. And some of you might even be shocked because some of the stuff we talk about here seems like common sense, but you'll be so surprised. And so it's a fun listen too. It's a fun read, a fun listen. And I must say, it's also a little bit sad at times because of, uh, well, let's just get into it, shall we? So number one of my nine no-nos on Safari is calling animals. Man, this is definitely number one. This is Yeah, so I don't know what it is about it. Uh, When I was trained as a guide, we were, you know, this is the one thing that we steered clear of the most, you know, and calling animals in a sense that if there's an animal lying in the grass and you can't see it very well or you can't photograph it very well, what tends to happen either from both guides and guests, by the way, is people often maybe click their tongue or whistle or, you know, like a house cat if it's lions or whatever it might be. And, you know, they call the animals and it just, it irks me to the nth degree. And I think it's a combination of just interfering with that animal, you know, also it's a wild animal and you're calling it like a house cat. And it just, we're trying to be in this peaceful nature and there's people clicking their tongue and it just, it seems so unnatural and so out of place. And I don't know if I've just built it up in my mind, but it irks me big time. I also don't feel like it's quite right. Uh, you know, it's it's just not, you know, no one would like to be catcalled whilst walking through the streets. And I don't think animals would appreciate it very much too. At least I don't anyway. So anyway, number one, calling animals. Oh, makes my hair stand up. I don't have much hair, by the way, but whatever's left, it stands on end when people call the animals. Number two. So number two is kind of a lead on from number one or continuation of number one. And number two is throwing things. My goodness me, you'll be so surprised what guests have thrown off my vehicle in the past. Uh, after, of course, having been told not to, uh, and you would think that you wouldn't have to tell people to do this, but of course it happens. And, you know, things from, you know, plastic water bottles, they flick water out the bottle and it makes a noise when it lands on the ground and it gets the cat's attention or whatever it might be that we're looking at from things like that to throwing even stones 
I've had bean bags being knocked out of the vehicle on purpose uh, so that the cat jumps up and they get a photograph. It's all, often it's just to get the better shot. And so this, the whole throwing things, number two, is a continuation of number one, and it almost irks me just as much. And if I had any more hairs, they would all be on end just because of that. So yeah, those two things, I don't know what it is. That just, yeah, just makes the mercury rise quite a lot. And uh, hopefully you don't have to experience these on safari. Another reason for this list, by the way, just as a side note, which I quite enjoy, is it's just a way of also portraying the style of guiding that we practice both for myself personally and at Wild Eye, because I know a lot of the guys at Wild Eye will, would agree with this list um, to, to quite a large extent. And so, you know, it's just a way of saying that we are very professional in what we do, and we try our very best to avoid these sort of things on, on Safari. So that's a little side note and a little bit of a sales pitch there. So anyway, to number three. So number three on Game Drive, that's quite a weird one, but believe me, it happens. It's taking phone calls. Uh, yeah, I am not making that up in case you didn't believe it. It is true, people take phone calls on Safari and it's quite often in a very interesting sighting. I don't know, the timing seems to be quite um, uncanny, but you wouldn't think that there'd be cell signal or cell phone reception out on these Safaris. I mean, we are in the deep, dark Africa in the middle of nowhere, but with all the satellites out there these days and with the strength of the towers and the number of towers out there, you'll be surprised. There's not too many places that actually don't have um, cell signal. And a lot of the time, people will take a business call whilst in a sighting. Oh, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to watch lions feeding on a carcass whilst um, you're also listening to someone who's talking about some business merger back home. Uh, it's it's quite distracting and it's quite unnatural and it's just a bit strange and quite annoying, I suppose, in a way. Um, yeah, we've had people, I've had people talking to their loved ones back home and having arguments on the phone. We've had business talk and all sorts of weird and wonderful phone calls. Now, obviously, there's a time. I mean, I've been on vehicles where, you know, people had loved ones back home who were ill and they were expecting a call and it was a private vehicle. And I mean, there's a time and place where this stuff was preempted and, you know, it's done with some respect and all of that. And that's fine. But other times, just out of the blue, I mean, you, you can't, you know, you tell people to put their cell phones on silent, which that falls under number three, by the way. Cell phones on silent and taking phone calls. It's one in the same. I've put that in the same category. Um, people, yeah, it's they take phone calls. And, you know, it's even if you're bird watching in, in weird times where, anyway it's it's weird and if you're listening um please don't take phone calls on the game drive vehicle i'm trying very hard to hold my words back as you can see uh getting very passionate about this so let's move on to number four um which is a contentious one a very contentious one so i've got to tread lightly here number four is flash photography for shooting wildlife um obviously flash photography for trees and stuff you know not necessarily a biggie but Flash photography for wildlife. Maybe this should be on a blog on its own. But I know a lot of um, guides out there who are friends and, you know, acquaintances as well. And they are very, very well known in the industry. And they're very good with their flash photography. It, it, they produce some amazing work. And so this is not necessary to run them down. It's not, you know, I know them very well. And I know that they, to a degree, they... Uh, to a large degree anyway, they will really look after the animals that they're photographing and they won't interfere with hunts and things like that because unfortunately people take it to the extreme where they will use flash photography at the worst possible time. 
you know, like I've seen it when lions are chasing cheetah and there's flashes going off, leopards hunting flashes going off, you know, things, times like that, I just don't agree with, you know, there are times for it, maybe I personally don't enjoy flash photography for wildlife, um, but, you know, for my colleagues who do, not wildlife colleagues, but uh, friends out there who do enjoy it, they they do approach it with a large level of respect. So that's cool. Um, it's not for me personally, but what I'm referring to more is like the cell phone flashes and the, for people who are just getting into photography, they, you know, sort of, we, we, we don't suggest using the pop-up flash on the camera, but they're trying to push for that photo. And it's somewhat understandable because it might be their first and last safari and they want to get that shot. But I mean, it does ultimately affect the animal's behavior and it can be quite annoying for other guests who might be wanting to film rather using the spotlights because, you know, the vehicles being there and the spotlights are impact enough. However, it is ecotourism and conservation. So there is a gray area, but the line is drawn there. And then when you add flash on top of that, it becomes a little bit too much in my opinion. Anyway, very contentious issue, isn't it? <laughs> so where's the fun stuff in this uh, blog? Hey, I, I thought it was going to be fun. Anyway, we'll get to it now. Number nine, by the way, is going to be a great point. Uh, you'll enjoy that one. So yeah, it's, flash is a tough one, but it's, it's weird when you've got a phone. You know that the person's not going to get the shot, but they, they shoot anyway uh, with a pop-up flash and the picture's not going to come out great. You know it's not going to come out great and it disrupts everybody, including the animal. So that would be my number four, flash photography for wildlife. Number five is pressuring animals for the shot. So yeah, I know a lot of the stuff seems like common sense, doesn't it? And it's amazing that you, would, you wouldn't think that you could write a blog or podcast on this, but because of all the incidents we've had over the years on each of these points, um, you know, common sense can sometimes go out the window. And, you know, it's... Uh, it's quite sad when you see people pushing animals, getting into situations just for that shot or that experience. The experience is the worst part, which I'll touch on in a minute, but it's horrible to see people putting themselves into these situations for that. And you see the animal become uncomfortable and you change their behavior completely. Uh, ultimately, you are gonna change that animal's behavior, aren't you? I mean, a game drive would change their behavior to a degree. And we understand that as guides and it's just how much change you inflict is is really the question. So. We understand that it's ecotourism, so that by getting people into a good position in, and getting good photographs will lead to more people coming, more money generated for those animals to be protected. So we understand that side of things. But if we're pushing these animals into an uncomfortable position and you know altering their behavior beyond a point of sort of a reasonable amount, then, yeah, here's stand up again. And... <laughs> It's, uh, it's quite a tough one, shame, um, because often there's times when you have to say to guests, listen, we can't off-road to those animals because of X, Y, and Z. You know, it's sensitive, um, a sensitive area, so the, the, the vehicle could destroy the vegetation or um, the cubs are nervous. And, you know, it might be their first and last cheetah, for example, that you can't see. And, you know, so there are times that are tough, but um, people often break those rules and put pressure on the animal. And... I mentioned earlier for the experience. So what I've come across a lot in my guiding career is often guides out there, what I like to call the cowboys or bush cowboys, will push elephant, for example, as one of them. I've also heard this with lions before and witnessed it uh, from other vehicles in the past throughout the different game reserves that I've been in, where 
they'll purposely push this animal to trumpet or roar or charge the vehicle. And honestly speaking, the only reason they do this is to get a bigger tip because they create this thrilling experience and look how tough I am as a ranger. So yeah, pressuring animals for the shot, not cool. Um, it's It leads to cars being turned and stuff like that, as you might have seen on the internet. So yeah, number six, it takes a little bit of a turn away from the other points. And it's quite a strange one, but it happens so much. And number six is talking politics. I once had to pull guests apart on my vehicle. They were cat. They were holding each other by the scruff of the neck, um, simply because of talking politics. And it was around the end of 2016, um, going into 2017. In that period, I forget which exact date, but it was around that time where, um, across the world, the political climate in all countries just seemed to be very unstable. On my vehicle, I had guests from England uh, in one row, or a couple from England, should I say. Second row, I had the guests from South Africa, and the third row, I had guests from the States. And it just seemed, it was just like a, like the perfect political storm, I suppose. All three countries were going through a bit of a, a weird period in their politics where there was a lot of change that was happening, and not just change, but it was quite drastic change. It was... Uh, you know, there were a lot of conflicting views. And no matter how hard I tried to, you know, I even became teacher and try to discipline these kids in the naughty and sending them to the naughty corner and saying, guys, you got to stop this politics stuff. It just seemed the harder I tried that the more it sort of revved them up because people were, I, I must have cut them off halfway through making their point and they were harboring this and it just grew and eventually this, <laughs> this little green monster came out. Oh my gosh, and all of a sudden the tracker now are just like, we almost laughing because there's these guys who scruff of the necks and on game drive and they're not even concentrating on the bush that they're in, which is a beautiful environment and they want to try and rather solve the world problems. So it's crazy. I mean, I'll never forget. It was it was quite a, quite a long drive home. We drove back in the evening and that particular after that particular incident and it was a long, quiet drive home. Luckily, that was the last night. A couple of guys didn't make it on the morning drive and everyone went their not so merry way in the next day on the next day. So crazy, right? Um, how you could be in the most beautiful place in the world, but the politics still infiltrates and causes issues. So yeah, talking politics is a no-no on Safari for me. Um, rather just we can talk animal politics, that will be much better. So number seven. Yo, now this one seems like it's just straight up common sense, but I don't know. Number seven is not listening to the guide. Now, this also goes for me, by the way, because I enter a whole lot of different parks and areas of the world where I'm not experienced in those areas and the dynamics are slightly different. So, you know, uh, when I was a younger guide and I went into different parks, I used to carry my level of confidence with me. And often it was very difficult for me to listen to the guide because I always knew better. I was young. I had an ego. Um, not Not bad. I mean, I'm making myself sound terrible, but... You know, I had to listen. Um, it reminds me of a story of a guest once uh, where he didn't listen to me. And I said, listen, don't. He needed a bathroom break, okay? And we'd been looking for elephants for about three hours. He needed a bathroom break. And I said to him, stay close to the vehicle. The elephants are close by somewhere. We haven't found them yet, but they are close by. The tracks are coming this way. So we're just going to have a quick little pee break here. Um, just don't go far. Don't go there. And I pointed to an area. Of course, I went behind the vehicle. Um, to go and get something from the back and I looked up and he was there but he was mid-p so oh well 
and um, I'll never forget. It was on this like, so imagine it was a, it was an, sort of a short open field going up over a, a little rise um, that he walked towards, and he was quite the distance from the vehicle. And next minute I hear, "Hey, Matt," and I turned and looked, and I said, "Yep, what's going on?" And he looked mid P, by the way, so literally mid P turned and looked at me and says, I think I have found the elephants. And no sooner had he said that did these big dark shadows start appearing up over the ridge. He was backtracking whilst peeing. It was rather hilarious. Um, I knew that there was no danger uh, because of the distance between him and the elephants, and I could see by the elephant's behavior that he was quite all right uh, because he was moving quite confidently back to the vehicle, although pants around the waist kind of, or what's around the knees. It was hilarious, and um, all's well that ends well, I suppose. But you know, imagine it—you know how it could differently that could have gone. But um, a rather funny story, and I really enjoyed that one, and that sticks with me for and still to this day. But um, yeah, the local guides often know best, and it's amazing how often people just simply don't listen to the guide. Um, another story I remember from another guide who was a friend of mine, and he told the guest not to go far, and he said, "Yeah, use this bush." The guest completely ignored him and went. 50 meters into the bush um, on his own mission because um, sometimes it can be guests will sneak off without you knowing and you know they'll ignore everything you've said um, and this particular guest went off and he, this guide heard an almighty scream coming from the bush 50 odd meters away so he ran for his rifle grabbed his rifle but no sooner had he got his rifle and was running towards where the guest was um, the guest came hurtling out of the bushes also belt undone um red in the face and you know saying something try to attack me and he's like what 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 and he goes the guest says do you have bears here and the guy was like what bears and the guest like yeah a bear tried to attack me it was a little black and white bear anyway the the guide kind of knew straight away and what happened was this guy was also sort of mid p and um yeah probably the worst animal in the bush happened upon him which was the honey badger and it took offense to him being there and for anyone who's ever dealt with or been near or watched a honey badger, you'll know that they are quite a gnarly little animal. And so this little thing was going for him and he, he luckily managed to scare it off with a scream and he ran away. And, and the honey badger actually left them alone, um, strangely, because they're normally, you know, quite persistent in their attacks and, and the way they defend themselves. So anyway, he came running out having nearly get, got eaten by a little black and white bear. So, you know, listen to the guard could be quite an important thing. Right, number eight. So this one I hate. It's probably one of the the lowest parts of my job. I hate this with a passion. It's making other guests wait. And for any guides who are listening, and maybe even guests who've experienced this, I can almost like I can literally hear you nodding in agreement now because this is really a painful one. And it happens mostly in the mornings, um, not so much in the afternoons, but definitely in the mornings, where especially if there's been one or two uh, many drinks the night before. And, you know, you, you all gather on the deck or at, around the coffee station, you're all having a coffee. And over the years as a guide, I've developed this weird, like, skill set where I can just, yo, I can just tell that there's going to be a guest missing or they've slept in or something's wrong. Because, I, I don't know, it's just a sixth sense and you can see they're not there. And I think it's because maybe we study behavior and you can see that the guest, you know, on their previous behavior, they should be there, they're not there. And then all the other guests go to the vehicle and they get on the vehicle. This is the worst because this is when the foot tapping starts, the watch tapping, Matt, what's going on? Let's go. Ooh, now you've got to go try to find the other guest. And you know what happens half the time as well, which blows my mind. When those guests, the ones who have slept in or who are late, when they finally do arrive, 
they somehow always seem to think it's okay to go to the coffee station and pour a coffee whilst everyone's on the vehicle. I mean, like it blows my mind. And so often they'll eventually get to the vehicle, everyone shooting daggers at them with their stares, and they'll almost, or very seldomly at least, offer an apology. And it just, I find that's absolutely amazing. Like for me, I'd just be absolutely gutted uh, because I may or may not have been late once or twice in my life. Okay, fine, I was late once or twice, and literally only, I think it's, I think it's been twice that I've been late for a game drive. Um, it's almost like a rite of passage for a guide. You know, it's going to happen once or twice in your career, but that's all that has to happen because it's the worst feeling in the world. And you know, when when a, when you're late and the guests are watching you arrive to the vehicle as a guide, you just want to crawl into a hole and die. And um, you know, it's. <laughs> That's why only once or twice, I think it's happened to me twice, if memory serves, and, um, you know, we learned our lesson. But somehow other people don't really seem to mind, her. But this blows my mind, and this is this is why I hate it so much. It's so awkward because it's a little bit out of your control because you can reprimand them, I suppose. You can try your best to hurry them, but ultimately you've got to try and keep your professionalism as well. So here's a story, okay, a couple of years ago, and... Yeah, this is interesting. I'd love to hear your comments here, actually. I'd love to hear what you have to say. I think I know what it might be. I know what your answers uh, are probably going to say. But a couple of years ago, I had a couple who, you know, they arrived and they were consistently late for game drive. Now, how many times, you know, I even once told them to arrive 15 minutes early and to try and, because they used to faff around and, yeah. Oh, coffee and another coffee and then they had to go back to the room and so on. So after day two, I think it was, or day three, you know, eventually I said to the manager, my guests are really getting annoyed now because we all, including myself, I mean, we all there on time and, you know, we we don't mind being five minutes late, I suppose, uh, but it's still quite a lot, isn't it, on game drive? I mean, five minutes, a lot can happen. So, you know, what I did one day is I just said to the manager, look, these guests haven't arrived again. And we got what we call a standby. So that's a guide who isn't driving. And he waited at the lodge for me with a vehicle. So what would happen is that when those guests arrived on deck, they would faff around and carry on, but we would carry on on our game drive. Then that guide, the friend of mine, would bring them after they had finished and join us or meet up with us rather. And we they would hop onto our vehicle. This was, I mean, it seems like a, a fair plan, especially because we've given them many chances to be on time before. And I'll never forget because that happened and I got a radio call from my mate to say, listen, Matt, I'm bringing your guests, but they are absolutely livid. Whoa, man. And when I stopped the vehicle, when they got on that vehicle, he was not joking. They were besides themselves and they took me out from such a dizzy height. And my guest then jumped in and defended me um, on top of that. So, you know, it's hectic. It can get very, very crazy, like with scenarios like that. And, um, you know, eventually that evening I sat them down and explained everything to them and and they could see the error of their ways. But, yeah, I didn't really cop much of an apology, did I? But anyway, uh, it's uh, it's an awkward one. I mean, it's terrible. It, it, there's nothing you can really do sometimes and it's just... Yeah, that's a that's a no-no for anyone who's listening and not good with time. Please, please, please uh, don't make anyone wait. So, yeah, the last one for my top nine no-nos on Safari, number nine is FNB. And FNB is a no-no on Safari. 
And no, for the South Africans listening, it's not First National Bank, but rather FNB is an acronym that I came up with, or I use rather, that stands for First Night Blowout. And what that means is, uh, and this is where most of my outrageous stories come from, are these FNBs. And it's such a common thing that we see on safari. And basically, when people arrive, especially if it's their first safari, is when people are most vulnerable to an FNB. And what it is, they arrive, they're super excited, they are super jet-lagged, probably dehydrated, and they get into the lodge, they check in, their shirts off at the pool because you can't come back from Africa without a tan. You've got to be tanned to tell the story when you're back home. And that's often followed with a gin and tonic by the pool. So you guys can see where this is going already. It's a bit of a recipe for disaster, um, especially because the African sun is very, very underestimated. And it's not like the usual sun. It's a very hot sun and people get sunburnt and we get a lot of heat stroke and uh, sunstroke as well. So after the pool, they come to the deck where they have another beer or something like that. We go on game drive, they neglect to drink water. Um, which we need a lot of on safari. For those who have been, you might know, you can get very dehydrated very quickly. But this, this all leads to a whole bunch of problems, of course, because then you have a sunset, or what we call a sundowner, where we have gin and tonics at sunset, and there's more gin and tonics and more. Then we get to dinner, and it's very exciting. And then you mix all of this with your anti-malarials that you're taking, and you can just see it's just like a perfect storm. <laughs> and the excitement grows and grows and you're not thinking straight because of the, the sunstroke and all of that and you have an absolute bender of a night because of all the excitement and where you are and you just completely blow out and the next morning we have often got a lot of victims uh, who miss game drives and it's quite yeah so this is the, this is what I mentioned this is what I said was quite sad you know in the beginning of this podcast I mentioned it was a bit sad and uh, it's because you know <laughs> people lose out but you know, the sad part is when people really go overboard. I mean, I had this one guest who was sick everywhere. And when I say sick, I mean uh, sick. There were th- I don't want to be too graphic, but just imagine a very sick sick, and he was that, okay, um, in his bed, in the shower, in the bathroom, even the cloche that, you know, that we keep the fudge in, um, even in that, uh, you know, crazy. And he missed three days' worth of safari because of this, Um which blows my mind. It absolutely blows my mind. All because of a first night blot, all because of FNB. And uh, so maybe this is a word of warning as well. So, you know, but then we've also had stories which, you know, I've really thoroughly enjoyed where, or maybe not, I don't know. There was a, there was one story where I was in a lodge and there was an FNB, a big FNB with a group of friends and they all stripped down naked. And just like I said, imagine the sickest sick. This was like the nakedest of naked, um, the, the most clothes that anyone had on in that group was one of the guys left his belt on. He, for whatever reason, he was stark naked, no underwear, but he left his belt on. That was the only, that was the most amount of clothing that anyone was wearing. And, you know, they were all dancing uh, to Piano Man. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I got arms around me at some point. I know, weird story, right? Jeepers, tell me about it. And yeah, that went until about three in the morning because in those days, the rule was we weren't allowed to leave until the last guest went to bed just from a hosting point of view and a safety point of view, I'm glad that's changed now. But yeah, so I had to stick with these naked people throughout the night. Um, they also threw all their clothes in the fire for whatever reason they felt it would be a good idea to do that. And um, so yeah, <laughs> that was all because of FNB. Needless to say, we missed the morning drive. 
um, they all wanted to go onto the at about three in the morning or whatever it was. I forget what time it was, but they all said let's go for a night drive, and they wanted to drive around naked. Imagine that. I mean, I wonder what anti poaching would have said about that. But anyway, <laughs> then one of the stories which I rather enjoyed it was quite funny. The one guest uh, had an FNB, um, a big one. Young guy, um, I think his name was Gareth, if I remember correctly. But anyway, Gareth, if you're listening, this is for you. Um, he <laughs> he was such a nice guy, shame. And he had an FNB. All the excitement got to him, and he had a massive FNB. He was a single traveler. Um, all the other guests went to bed, and he realized his mistake. And he then, you know, made a decision. And making a decision at the time of night is never a good idea, anyway. But he made the decision that he wasn't going to miss the morning drive. So instead, what he did was um, he just passed out on the deck. I arrived in the morning because I like to get to the deck quite early. And I arrived and I walked onto the deck and I saw the security guard sitting there pointing his torch downward. And I thought, what on earth? That looks so weird. So I walked over and I saw the security guard just laughing and shaking his head. And on the floor was Gareth lying on his back holding a beer still. So the beer was on the floor. He was holding it and passed out on the deck. And the security guard said, no, he wanted to see. He was waiting for you. He didn't want to miss you. <laughs> so try to wake Gareth, try to wake Gareth. It, it, it took me, it, I had to give him a little kick in the ribs and jerk him awake almost, you know. And he suddenly woke and he said, oh, there you are. I've been waiting for you. Anyway, I couldn't let poor Gareth on the drive. He was just absolutely finished. And uh, <laughs> the F&B had taken its toll. So, you know, crazy stuff happens on these safaris. And so maybe a word of warning with the FNB, drink lots of water, don't overdo it, don't miss the morning drive, you want to be there. Um, but, you know, if you do happen to have an FNB, please make sure I'm close by because I want to record the story. So, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, this, like I said, it's a bit of a tongue-in-cheek, um, you know, blog and podcast. I think it was quite fun. And also just a bit of a way of educating people. It's a... Uh, yeah, it can be tough out there sometimes, but you know what? It's not. This is not a way of saying these are the rules, follow the rules, because safari isn't really about rules. I mean, the rules are there to keep us safe and have an enjoyable time. Because yeah, I mean, it's much more fun than than what are maybe depicted here. But these are the extreme cases. Um, but it does help if you understand these things and know these things and avoid them. And, and so, hence why I thought, let me do a blog on it. So, yeah, let's hope that there isn't a tenth no no added to this list. Um, if you're going to add that no-no to the list, please make it a good one and a funny one. And please make sure I'm around to document it. I'd love to do that. Otherwise, have a great 23. I'm sure it's going to be a good one. And I'll, yeah, I'll catch up with more podcasts and things soon. And I am quite certain that I will see you on a no-no-no safari very soon.